This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 417. In many areas of life, the way you avoid making a mistake is that you don't get in the game. You can't strike out if you don't get up to bat. You can't make a turnover if you don't get in the game. You can successfully avoid ever making a mistake by hurting yourself and your own success. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. David, do you remember what it was like to be new to real estate investing? It's very easy to forget. I will say that. <laughs> it, it takes a certain interview with someone or conversation to bring back up some of those old emotions. Yeah. And and so this is one of the things that drives me nuts in like the real estate education space is when real estate educators, which I would you know include ourselves in there, we tend to forget what it was like to be brand new to real estate to not sure what we're doing. And so what I find helpful is like when I get to talk with a bunch of new investors. So I have two interns that live out here in Maui now that are both like young guys getting started on their real estate. And so I've really been brought back to a lot of you know, getting started stuff. And I know you, you have a ton of clients that are all like new real estate investors as well, right? Yeah. It actually helps keep me really, really sharp because the yeah. majority of people that are coming to me to represent them on a purchase are new or they've only bought a house or two, but most of them is their first time. So I'm yep. continually put through the same first couple steps with every single client every time we get started. And it keeps me very aware of how new people think, what gets in their way, what trips them up. And I think that is very helpful when it comes to educating new people, but it's so easy when you start listening to podcasts. We all want to learn from successful people yeah. that when you're trying to learn from a black belt, but you're a white belt, it's very yeah. difficult for them to teach you. Yeah, that's exactly it. So today, this show is about white belt training, mm-hmm. uh, but not like I'm not going to we're going to tell you, here's how you put an offer on a duplex or here's how you, you know, we want to talk more about the mental side a little bit today of what it takes to get started with real estate. So if you've done less than, I would say, 10 deals, this show is really geared toward you uh, and getting into the mindset of what it takes to go from where you are now to where you want to be. So that's kind of the goal of today's show. But before we get to that show, let's get to today's quick tip. All right, today's quick tip is simple. If you are not subscribed currently to the Bigger Pockets YouTube channel, both David and I put out content on the Bigger Pockets YouTube channel. We would like you to be subscribed there. So if you're not subscribed, just go click that subscribe button right now over on youtube.com slash biggerpockets. And uh, we've been putting out a ton of stuff there. Uh, I mean, like several videos a day related to real estate. You don't have to watch every one. Just watch the ones that matter to you. Get notified when uh, good stuff comes up. So that's your quick, quick tip. tip. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? 
Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. I think we're ready to jump into this thing. Uh, we, you know, we don't have a guest today, so it's just you and I talking about the the mindset shifts that a new investor goes through, the way, different ways of thinking that's going to help accelerate your business, help you get financial freedom years faster, uh, help you build wealth faster, and help you have more fun at less stress while you're doing it. So anything you want to add before we start jumping into number one, David? Yeah, I we get a lot of compliments on these solo shows. People really like them. Please leave your comment at the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and let yeah. us know what type of show you'd like to see more of. Brandon and I are committed to bringing our Bigger Pockets members as much value as we possibly can. So if you give us ideas of what type of shows you like, we are happy to make them for you. That's where this show came from was there was a lot of people that were saying, I know I need to do this. I want to get started, but I'm just so scared. I can't get over this thing. And that's why we came up with these ideas was to help those people. So make that known, share what you want to know, and we will give you the content you like. All right. Very cool. And this is going to be a pretty rapid fire show. So here we go. Number one, uh, what's the first one you got there, David Green? Not seeing the big picture. This is something that stops new investors from ever getting started. Okay. So what do you mean by not seeing the big picture? Well, when you are scared. This is something that we we learned in law enforcement because you're in scary situations all the time. You tend to focus on the thing that's going to scare you. So um, the police officers often talk about all I could see was the knife or all I could see was the threat. You hear this with mountain bikers that crash. They'll say, I just was looking at that rock in the middle of the trail. And the that was the last thing I remember seeing before I crashed. But when you're getting training, what people tell you is look for the way around the rock, stare at the path out and your mind will automatically direct you in that in that direction. With real estate investing, it's very easy to open an inspection report and see everything that's wrong with a house and use that as justification to talk yourself out of moving forward. We tend to zoom in on things we think will hurt us when we're afraid. But when you talk to successful investors, they never mention a toilet that was leaking and needed to be fixed as something that stopped them from building wealth. In fact, I like to remind my clients all the time, I've yet to meet in my life any human being that bought a property 30 years ago that said, I really wish I wouldn't have bought real estate. That yeah, leaky yeah. toilet just wasn't worth it over the 30 years. In fact, Brandon, if I had to tell you what every one of them says, what would you guess? Uh, I wish I would have bought more. That's exactly right. There's not a human being alive I, I have met that doesn't say, yeah. I wish I bought more real estate. Yep. So if you trace down why that happens, it's because you are focused on the small detail and not the big picture. And that's a mistake that new people make all the time. Yeah, that's so good, man. Uh, and I don't think that changes, even if, you know, this show is, this show is kind of geared towards new investors today. But I think even like myself, I tend to get a little bit sucked into just thinking like the mundane, working in my business, like this is the mobile home park I'm buying, or this is the offer we're putting out here, uh, or this is the employee issue that I'm dealing with. Rather than thinking like I'm working, you know, this is classic work, work on your business, like looking five or 10, 20 years out of my business. Does it really matter that this employee wanted a $3,000 raise or, or, you know, this guy wanted 2% back uh, for this fee or this, like some of those things just don't matter long-term as much as you might think they do, because we're so in the forest, we can't see the forest. So yeah, that's a good one. Number one, not seeing the big picture. 
Yeah. Cool, man. And not focusing on the cost of inaction. That would be the next thing is that it's easy to say, if I do this, what could go wrong? And then never ask yourself, if I don't do yeah. anything, how much is that going to cost me? One of those is very easy to see. If I make a mistake, I could lose money. I'm putting $20,000 in a deal. What if I lose that $20,000? you are not looking at the $2 million that you could yep. have made if you had learned it. And it's just very, very easy because no one puts that in front of you to miss it. But that $2 million is just as real as that 20000 Very good. It's very true. All right, moving on to number two. Trying to check every single box for every single property you buy or you're trying to buy. What do you mean by that, David? I see this one all the time from people that are, it's usually their first deal and they're saying, okay, I listen to Brandon and David. I want a house that I'm buying at 50% of fair market value with very little rehab in the hottest part of town with the best numbers that cash flows at 25% ROI. And I have a value add component to make it worth even more. And I'm going to hold to my guns and I'm going to find that property that checks every single box for what I want. And they spend so much time looking for that property that prices appreciate by 30% and they never get the deal. It is okay to find a property that checks a box or two boxes and start with that, like a base hit, and not look for a home run. Home runs will come. especially when you get in the game more, when you're analyzing stuff, when people know about you, you will come across those deals, but it's still valuable to get a deal that cash flows or that has a big upside on equity, but maybe it doesn't cash flow. There's value in owning that. You don't have to find a house that checks every single box in the same deal. It's okay to split that up over three different properties. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of danger in looking at, you know, like they say social media is a highlight reel. In a way, podcasts are a highlight reel, right? We talk about our uh-huh. really good deals. David and I would talk about it. The guests will talk about it. Like, oh yeah, I got this deal. It's making me 1500 bucks a month. And it's got this, it's got that. Well, we've been in the game a long time. And so we can find these things. And I, not that David and I are saying you should go buy a bad deal, right? We didn't say go buy something that's terrible. It's going to lose you money. But we're saying it doesn't have to be like a braggable, you know, deal deep dive level deal for every one of your properties, especially when you're getting started. Because as we always say, wealth is not built from a property. It's built through a portfolio, which means it's more important that you get started and you start building your portfolio of several properties. And then over time, all of those add a little bit to your net worth, a little bit to your cash flow, a little bit to your financial freedom. And so really you just got to get in there and start doing it. So That's such a good point that where that comes from is seeing other people talk about their deals and thinking, I have to do the same as them. Yeah. And that's not true at all. In fact, the majority of investors that are on here, when they're talking about a deal they bought, when they bought it, they had no idea it was going to be that good. I'd say 80% of the time you stumble into this deal that appraised for way more than you thought. But then you go tell people, hey, look at how good I did. You should listen to me. It's okay to not know. I always take that perspective 15, 20, 30 years down the line. How is this going to make me look? It doesn't matter how it makes me look when I first buy it. Yeah, that's true. And I, yeah, I was going to say, so when we started Open Door Capital, you know, my first fund, I raised money for my very first fund. This is now a year and a half ago. We bought a property in Ohio that honestly today, if it came up on the market today, I wouldn't, I would like, based on our current criteria, I probably wouldn't buy it. Uh, even though we bought it back then, I probably wouldn't buy it today because I've got, we've tightened our criteria so much. Example, today we only buy within a, when there's a population of 100,000 people within 15 miles. That's one of our criteria points because we want areas. This one didn't have that. So I would have passed this deal over because it didn't check every box. The funny thing is that's the best property we have in our entire portfolio right now. And like, so sometimes in real estate, like it, 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 I would have called it like today, I'd say, yeah, it's a base hit, but we're only looking for home runs today. But I would have passed up what was actually a home run. And it, it's phenomenal mm-hmm. because of 
you know, I didn't check every single box. Now in, in my, in my business, because I'm raising money and I have investors, like that's why I have to, I have to aim only for home runs going forward because I have to get them. Uh, but if you're new and getting started and you're okay, you need to build the momentum and the base hit, get the base hit. Cause sometimes your base hits actually turn into home runs, especially that you hold them long enough. So yeah, don't be, don't let that fear hold you back. Yeah. My question to you would be, would you have got to the criteria you have now? Had you not bought that no. property to get started? Nope. I learned from that one because we were like, oh yeah, we don't like, like after we bought it, we're like, oh yeah, this is, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, not quite middle of nowhere. I mean, there's people around. It's an hour from like yeah, Detroit, let's say hour and a half from Detroit. And so like, but we, we decided at that point that that was a challenge that we would prefer to not have to deal with in the future. Uh, now, for whatever reason, I mean, there's some other reasons I won't go into the details on that, why that property ended up being so good, but we wouldn't have bought it if we were trying to check every single solitary box that we have today. So again, don't let fear cripple you. Real estate, we've said this on the show before, and I'll say it again now. Real estate is a very forgiving asset class. Mm-hmm. You can make mistakes. You can make little stuff. Oh, the rent wasn't as high as you thought it was going to be. Okay. Next year, it probably will be. It's a very forgiving asset class. So it's very like true. And, and when you keep that in mind, the smartest thing you can do is set aside healthy reserves and yes. live beneath your means. And then almost all the time, you're going to be fine. It's when you're already kind of playing fast and loose with your personal life that your criteria for real estate has to get a lot more stringent and that can really hurt you. Yeah. And that actually brings up kind of the next point. I actually was going to talk about it earlier in the, uh, or later on the show, but I'm going to throw it in right now. And that is some people, this is number three for today. If you're taking notes, number three was looking to real estate as to be your savior from like your lack of happiness, your lack of financial responsibility, your, your struggle with like meaning in life. In other words, people think, and financially I say this a lot, right? People are like, I'm broke. I'm poor. I don't have any money. I am therefore going to invest in real estate because that'll make me rich. Uh, and the, the truth is, it's not real. Like you could be a millionaire and still be broke. And I know there's a lot of broke millionaires out there uh, because the problem isn't solved by real estate. The problem is solved when you introspectively look at your head and your heart and figure out what the real problem is, what the real issue is. Anything you want to add on that, David? Yeah, I would ask yourself, what's your relationship to real estate? Is it healthy when you have a relationship with a person and you're not happy and you're looking to that person to be your source of happiness and when you're really insecure and you look to that person to meet all your insecurities, it puts so much pressure on them that they usually end up feeling resentment, pulling away. They're not happy and it ruins the relationship. Are you doing that with real estate? Do you not like your boss because you frequently come in late and what you say is your boss micromanages you is really you not having the discipline to be there on time so they have to discipline you. And rather than taking ownership of that, you say, I want to just go find real estate where this money flows in and I don't have to worry about anything. Because you'll take those same problems with your job, you'll bring it into your real estate business and you'll be talking the same way about your contractors and your lenders and your agents. It's not going to change. If you don't have a healthy relationship with your current career, you're probably not going to have one with real estate. So that's what I would ask is, do you have a healthy relationship with real estate so that you get the healthy results that you want? That's really good, man. That's deep. Thank you. That's good stuff. All right. Well, um, another point I will make on that is uh, a lot of newbies will... I guess, buy property and look to get into real estate because they're in this really bad place, maybe um, emotionally or mentally or financially, like they just went completely broke. Uh, and so I would just look at that and say, are you investing in real estate from a, at least a position of strength? Doesn't mean you have to be rich. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect mm-hmm. to be able to do this. But are you coming at it with a, like, I have a plan. I'm doing this. I'm going to put my all my effort into this. I'm going to 
you know, I'm, I'm taking my responsibility and my, you know, extreme ownership to this project. I'm going to take it on. That would be a healthy way to approach it. And then there's the, like, I'm just running around like chicken with the head cut off. I can't seem to make any money. I'm, I'm just, everyone's angry at me. I just lost my job. Hey, there's real estate. I'll go do that. Yeah. Uh, that's just a dangerous place to try to build a career from. Cause like you said, David, you'll just bring the problems from the last one into that one. When we interviewed Matthew McConaughey, he during our research for that interview, I heard him talking about someone told him in Hollywood, don't ever let them sense you're needy. If they can tell you uh, yeah, need yeah. that role, they will take advantage of you. And that got me thinking about life. If you are vulnerable in any way, you are very easily taken advantage of and you put yourself at the mercy of the other side who that has no business caring about your best interests. Most people won't do that. That's the people the gurus are going after. You are so unhappy that when they say for $50,000, I can teach you how to make all this money that you actually consider yeah. that. Whereas if you were not in a vulnerable state, you'd be like, I don't need to pay $50,000. There's, there's a better way. So if you catch yourself having those thoughts, there's some form of vulnerability going on in your life. And that's not the emotional state you want to be in when you step into a new career with other people who may be more experienced and might not have your best interests in mind. So yeah, Brian, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. With that said, let's move on to the next one. Trying to avoid ever making a mistake. How is that a mindset issue, David? This is the problem of perfection, which doesn't sound like a bad problem, right? Like it's not bad to want to be perfect. I'm trying to avoid making mistakes. It becomes a problem when you can't avoid making a mistake. So in many areas of life, the way you avoid making a mistake is that you don't get in the game. You can't strike out if you don't get up to bat. You can't make a turnover if you don't get in the game. You can successfully avoid ever making a mistake by hurting yourself and your own success. And you have to weigh what mistakes are okay to make with the value that I get from learning. And how can I set this up in a situation where I may make some turnovers, I may make some mistakes. However, what I learned or or the good that I did far outweighed the bad. And that's why we see specifically in real estate investing, the people that have the most success tend to be the ones who take the most action, who don't worry about making mistakes, who understand there's risk and they mitigate for it. They don't try to completely avoid it. And the people who are really, really smart that typically have a job where they are successful by not making mistakes. Like if you're a surgeon, you don't get to make mistakes. Yeah. Right. If you're an accountant, everything needs to go where it's supposed to go or an engineer. People could die if the airplane that you are engineering has something wrong with it. You can't bring that mindset into this world. You have to be okay. I bought a house in the wrong area. I learned a lesson. Next time I'm going to do it over there. Good news is I use the burst strategy. So I got a lot of my money out. I can still go buy the next deal. That's the mindset that you have to have in this world that perfection can hinder progress and you have to give yourself permission to make mistakes. It's actually okay to make the right kind of mistakes in this business. Yeah, that's good, man. I got nothing to add to that. You said it perfectly. Let's move on to the next one, which is I think number five here, not considering the emotions of the other side when negotiating, but only focusing on the numbers. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this, again, if you notice, a lot of these problems come from a fear-based mentality. I'm afraid of making a mistake was the one we just went over. In this one, you're afraid of being taken advantage of. And it becomes very easy to write an offer to buy a house that a lot of other people want to buy and try to put every single protection you can possibly get in that contract and say, I have to make sure I'm covered, often by unreasonable things, and not think about how the other side is going to feel about that because they're not primarily concerned with your fears. They're concerned with theirs. That seller is thinking when when I'm going to take this offer or not, are you the one most likely to close? 
Are you going to hold up your end of the bargain? And when you get scared, it's easy to not think about what other people feel and really hone in on your own. And you can work yourself out of good opportunities for yourself, often over things that are silly. So in my market, one of the ways we'll see this play out is people want an appraisal contingency so they can back out of a deal if it doesn't appraise. That's normal. You don't want to have to overpay or lose your deposit. Well, then there's also an inspection contingency that lets them back out if they don't like the inspections. Well, sometimes we can use our inspection contingency, in fact, almost every time, to back out if it appraises low. You don't actually have to have a specific appraisal contingency in there. And what that looks like to the seller is that, oh, that's some good faith. You're going to move forward. But I've arranged it to protect my client because we're not waiving our inspection contingency until we get back an appraisal. We're going to inspect the appraisal, okay? And it's perfectly safe. It's good for both sides. It's a win-win. But when you get a client who's in such a scarcity mindset that's constantly afraid, they'll say, no, 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 I need both of them. There's no logic behind it. It just makes them feel safer. And what are the ways that people that are successful in anything get there is by they understand the other side. They consider how they come across to the other person and they structure their contract or their uh, how they present their opportunity, whatever it is, in a way that works for both party. You have to do that in real estate investing as well. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah, I think it's hard to sometimes separate the emotion and the math like because they, they both are at play in every real estate transaction. And so like some people are really good at the math side and some people are really good at the emotion side. But if you can get, if you can be acknowledged that both are at play, you can play with both of them. And what I mean by that is there's things like, I always like to say people like to buy from people they like, people like to sell to people they like. And so people like to do business with people they like. And so like, if you remember that, it's not just about the numbers. It's not just about getting the best deal possible you can get. Uh, if you remember that there's another person on the other end of the line, you can then actually use that to your advantage as well and then get to know the person a little bit. Try to find a way to make a deal happen that makes both of you happy. And sometimes you'll get what you want. They'll get what they want and everybody wins. And winning is what's important. It's not necessarily beating the other side. Define what a win is for you. If a win is to get a property that 30 years down the road you're really happy with and you got a chance to buy a duplex when there's hardly any duplexes out there. And let's say that your lender needs another extra two weeks to get your loan done. The seller's going to feel irritated by that. They're not going to want to give you a two-week extension. They know they have a hot property. They don't want to put it back on the market. But if you make them feel like they have to, that's what they'll do. It's okay to throw another three to four or five thousand dollars. I mean, my market's pretty expensive. Maybe if your market's less, it's only five hundred dollars. As a sign of goodwill to say, hey, I understand this is frustrating. Let me give you another five hundred bucks to make it up to you. That is still a win for you. It doesn't the way you succeed in real estate is not making sure that you never have to pay anybody anything. We see this with wholesalers. People don't like the wholesale fee and they fight with the person over two thousand bucks, but they could just go bring that deal to somebody else next time. So yeah. The point here is make sure you are thinking about their side too and that your own fear and apprehension doesn't get so strong that you completely lose sight of what the other person's going through. Wise words. Number six today, this might be my one of my favorites on this list, is people try to skip the work. It's this, and what we mean by there, there's a mindset, what we're talking about here. Not necessarily the work, they're not doing a good job, but it's this mentality of how do I get the most out of this by doing the least amount of work possible? Mm-hmm. And, and so, David, you and I both know those people. We get them all the time. It's like, can't you just show me a website where I can just buy all the properties I want that are amazing deals? And you're like, yes. that'd be really nice if there was just a website that you could go to and there's just amazing deals. You press one button and boom, you got deals. You got motivated sellers calling you left and right. 
It's because people want the outcome. They don't want to do the work necessary. They don't want to do the process necessary to get those results. You know, this is huge in my market in Silicon Valley, where I probably feel like 90% of jobs in the tech industry are designed to remove a human being from an equation. And their mind is geared towards finding software to replace people. Yeah. And when they bring that same mentality into real estate, it doesn't work. They're, they're like, what's the website I go to? Where's the best place to go get the deal? Um, somebody met, emailed me today and said, hey, the next time you find an amazingly red hot deal, can you please send it to us? We'll, we'll look at it, maybe buy it. Yeah. And that would be great for them. But what I said to them is, hey, when I come across those deals, I bring it to my clients that are signed up to work with me that we're in a committed relationship with. I, I just want to be upfront with you. I wouldn't bring you that deal. I would bring it to the people that are in a relationship that have already gone through a process with me. And I know that that doesn't make people feel good. They like to look at real estate like, hey, I wanted to be a mercenary. But from the person who has the deal, they're not going to bring it to the person from that perspective. So trying to skip the hard work is the fastest way to skip success. If if there was a website that had amazing deals that you could just go to and buy them, do you not think that a hedge fund would have already bought all those deals and the website at the same time? Well, the truth is there are websites where you can go, there's turnkey companies out there where you can go in, on their website, find a property, click buy and buy it. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But those are not the kind of deals that we're talking about on the podcast that are gonna make you you know tons and tons of money, most likely. Maybe they will, but like they're, their base hits. Now, if you're busy and you don't have time for the hard work, you don't have time to go in to do all that stuff and you just want to get started, fine. That's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But the, the degree at which you're willing to do hard work, now we're not talking number of hours either, but there's a de- the level of work you do. The degree of which you're willing to do that, that level of work is a direct proportion to the level of deal you get. Right. So if you're willing to be really smart and really hustle and do the do the work, you're going to find those amazing home run deals. Uh, but if you're not, that maybe just where you are in life, that's fine. But you're just not going to get those home run deals. You're going to get base hits, maybe. And you want to add to that? That is exactly right. And we're actually going to cover that a little bit later, mm. having the right expectations for what you're looking at. But for now, just understand that that comes from fear, too. Fear of hard work is real. There's people that yeah. actually are afraid. If I work hard, I'll be unhappy and I'll become a slave to work. So don't let that color the decision-making process when it comes to building wealth through real estate. Yeah, so good. Pretty good little episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters, and landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with the digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. 
With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, let's move on to the next one. We've got, uh, that was number six. So number seven, not thinking outside the box. David, what do you mean by that? Yes, there is a form of fear that says, I don't want to make a mistake. So let me just copy what somebody else did. And Brandon, I think that you probably have seen this too. If your inbox is anything like mine, there's a lot of people that say, just tell me what to do. Tell me yeah. exactly what to do and I'll do what you say. Now, from a humility standpoint, I love that attitude. Yeah. They're they're compliant. They're flexible. They're submissive. They understand, hey, I have to learn how to do this. From a practical standpoint, it doesn't always work because what I look for in a deal, what skills I'm bringing to the table, what resources I have are, are not going to be the same as yours. That you can't, there's no, you know, what's that color by number, right? Like you just yeah. draw from one dot to the next and it's very simple. You're not going to find that with real estate investing when it comes to structuring your business or finding the best kind of deals. Yeah, You've got to look for things that other people would miss. So one of the reasons that my, my real estate sales have skyrocketed this year, I'm doing three to four times what I did last year, is we figured out how to target people in the Bay Area that were paying very high rents that couldn't find a cash flowing property. So they just gave up or they were looking at duplexes and triplexes. And we don't really have very many of those here. And so what we did was we started finding really big houses with a lot of square footage and converting them to function as multifamilies. You've got an upstairs and a downstairs. It's easy to put in a separate entrance, put up a little bit of drywall. Boom. You've got a house where you can live in the upstairs, rent out the downstairs, kind of similar to what your setup is like, Brandon, in, yeah. uh, in Maui. You bought it where they were connected. You separated them. If you ever go sell it, you could just connect them again. Yep. That was thinking outside the box. And I've helped, I think we've sold 110 houses this year so far. Probably 70 of those were people that never would have bought a property if not for the fact we did that. That's that was huge to helping Bay Area people building wealth because I think outside the box. Like you said, I asked the question of how could we do this? Not, well, I can't do it. And I know no matter what market you're in, there's something that you can do to make this happen. If you live in the Midwest, I guarantee you a lot of those properties have basement foundations. How do you get good at finding a contractor that can do basement conversions and then buy in an area where there's good rental demand? Sometimes you live in an area with a high short-term rental 
demand. Can you buy a property that you can live in part of it and you can rent out the rest on short-term rentals? When people bring me ideas and they say I'm stuck, I usually come up with a solution pretty quick. Hey, you could do this. And they say, oh, I never thought of it. But if you get good at thinking of it, of seeing those angles, you can start investing in many situations where people think they can't. Yeah, that's really good, man. You know, it reminds me like of that, that we talk about this a lot on the show, but this idea of like running toward hard, like a lot of people naturally will look towards the easiest thing they can do. This actually relates back to what we talked about a minute ago, skipping the work, but it's also like this idea of they're going to find the easiest path possible, which means I want a duplex. Okay. I'm going to look for a duplex. Oh, there's no duplex in my area. Guess I can't invest because like having to manage a rehab. Oh, that sounds hard, right? Having to do the birth strategy oh, and deal with contractors. Oh no, not for me. Right? So they, they are not willing to look outside the box because they've been conditioned and trained their entire life to run toward easy, to run towards the, the simplest process possible. Uh, where I think almost everybody successful. I know they, they specifically choose hard things. That's why I chose mobile home parks. So I'm like, that's tough. You know what else is hard? Hiring people. And you do a lot of that, David. You know what else is, is tough is dealing with the emotions of clients. You know, like those things are tough, but tough is where wealth is built. Tough is where money is built. And tough means you're looking outside the box and you're willing to try different things and maybe experiment and risk that failure once in a while uh, to figure that out. But if you can crack the code on something hard, that's where you're going to make a lot of money. That is such a good, insightful thing you mentioned. Before we did this podcast, Brandon and I were talking about kind of the struggles that we're having in our own businesses. And one of mine is hiring. And one of the things I've learned is when I hire someone that did very hard things before they came to work for me, everything I ask them to do seems easy and light. And it's just a, a dream working with them. They pick it up quick. I can give them more. They make more money. The whole thing works great. When I've hired people that are very smart or have a great attitude, but they haven't done a hard thing in life yet, or this is the hardest thing they've done, their attitude is terrible. The interaction is rough. It's trying, it's like running in the sand. It's so hard and it burns up so much energy. So I've learned, I have to seek people that have done hard things. The the guy that I'm looking at hiring right now, James, on his resume, he showed me how he works 14 hour days in the military. And he told me, yeah, if if it means getting the mission done, I'll just work until I collapse. That's what's important is accomplishing the mission. And I knew, ooh, that's the person that's going to do well in this situation. So now I have a heart for the people who are struggling, (laughs) explaining to them, start doing something hard. That's what people are looking for. That's what's going to make you successful. Is it similar to what you found in your own um, efforts with open door capital and your other companies. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. It's, it's when people have that mentality of don't run away from hard, but run toward hard. Like that's what gets the job done in anything. It's like that. How you do anything is how you do everything line. Mm. And I love that quote. I don't know who said that first, so I'm not stealing it. Somebody said it, how you do, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so how they approach. I mean, I actually had this great conversation the other day. I went to this high school uh, and I met with some kids last week and I did a presentation on real estate to one of the local schools out here in Maui. And uh, afterwards, one of the kids asked me, they said, basically, basically the question was, should I go to college? And I said, you know, obviously that's a question from him and his parents to decide. But I said, I have never once looked at anybody's resume in my, uh, in my team and, at, and looked at where they went to college. Mm-hmm. I've never asked for a transcript. I've never known it. However, like, I don't know if I would have hired my finance manager, Micah, if he hadn't gone to college. I don't, I mean, I, and I say that because there are certain careers that going to college shows that you have some proficiency 
right, yeah. in something. But more importantly to me is that somebody who went through college did something hard, like for most of us. That's, exa- that's what a resume in college tells you. The, yeah. the better the school, theoretically, the harder yeah. it was to get yes. through it. And that's where the value is. Yeah. So I don't care. I don't care what they got in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if they if they graduated top of their class, that means they did more hard things. So again, yep. it, it's it's a I think when you're in school and you're in life, you think that these things are going to lead toward toward greatness and they do, but it's indirectly. It's not because of those things. It's because you are somebody who took on those things. That's what gets you in. So like, I don't think anybody's ever asked for my college transcripts, but the fact that I went to college probably helps me get jobs, you know, in my past easier than if I hadn't, but it's not college that got me. It's not even anything I learned at college that got me it. It's the fact that I did it. That's so good. I just wish everyone would listen to that and just let it sink in. I get asked all the time, David, how do you know so much about real estate? It seems like every time they ask me a question, like I'll do Q&A sessions at the end of a presentation. And I I welcome people firing questions at me that many speakers don't do. Yeah. They don't want to look stupid by not being able to answer a question. And what it is, is it's the pressure that we feel being in this platform as the Bigger Pockets podcast host, where we are expected to know pretty much everything about real estate forces me to be proactive about learning everything I can. It is hard to hold this title, this position. And as a byproduct of that, I perform better, that run towards hard. And the last point I'll make before we move on is, would you sign up for a gym if you walked in and they said, hey, we know people don't like lifting heavy weights. It's hard. So all of our weights here are made out of styrofoam. (laughs) I'd love that, Jim. That'd be great. Right, right. That's a really good point. Good analogy, Mr. David. Thank you. All right. Well, we talked about one of the hard things that David and I do is hiring people. It's always one of the challenging things just in growing an empire and growing a business is you start bringing in more people. And that's actually number eight uh, is the eighth mindset shift is thinking you have to do everything yourself. Uh, and the reality is I just got finished with a book called uh, Who Not How. Mm. And it's about like, instead of always asking, how do I get more done? How do I get this done? It's asking who's going to get this done. So why is that a problem, David, when people just really want to do everything themselves? That also comes from fear. It's fear of trusting other people, fear of yeah. having to build the skills of delegation and oversight and management. It's not easy when you don't do everything yourself. It's also not easy when you have to do everything yourself. Yeah, And so what we often see is people that have a glaring weakness in maybe weakness isn't the best phrase, but when it comes to real estate investing, there's many different skills you need. Networking helps you find deals. Creativity helps you put deals together. Analyzation helps you avoid buying the wrong deal. People skills help you manage properties. There's a lot of different aspects of someone's personality that will make them better at worse at a, at a deal. You can be amazing at 80% of it, but if you're not at 20%, it can make the experience so bad, then you won't invest in real estate at all, or you won't do anything. Okay. I see this all the time and I start to read it now where a client comes to me and wants to buy a deal and it looks great on paper, but I know that this rehab will be expensive. I know that every contractor is super busy and they're not being patient with needy clients because they don't need your business. And I know if that person buys that deal, their experience with a contractor could be so bad, they'll never buy another one. And I'll, and I'll tell them, I don't think you should. And here is why. I think for your first one, you need to get a deal where you'll have a good experience. You will learn it. You will like it. And then once you've got a little bit of momentum, then you can chase after that deal. But if you try to do it on the very first time, you'll never go out there and you'll never do it again. It was kind of like my first snowboarding experience. My buddies took me out there. Mm. They were really good. I had no idea. 
they didn't even teach me how to get off a ski lift. I didn't realize it didn't stop at the end and let you like step off. Right. <laughs> I, I learned that about four seconds before we got off of the lift yep. and we were on uh, black diamond hills going down my very first day. Like I had no idea that that wasn't how everybody learned to snowboard. And to this day, I don't really like snowboarding. I never yep. really got into it because the experience was so bad for me. I see this happen with investors and my heart goes out to them. It doesn't have to be like that. Don't think you got to do everything yourself. Finding the right people to work with you can make it so much more enjoyable. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, my my snowboarding experience is actually exactly the same way, <laughs> which is why I was going to uh, I was going to learn to ski this winter. That was one of my goals. I was going to go to Denver, uh, go get a like place in the mountains with my wife and kid mm. kids uh, for like a month or two. And just like every day or every other day, go out there and ski. And I was like, and get an instructor. And like, because like, I knew that if I treated my ski like the way I treated my snowboarding, I would never get there. Uh, and so, yeah, by having the right team around you, I have the right people around you that can show you how to do this stuff. So how does somebody do that in real estate? Let's go talk about real estate. If you don't, you can't just go and hire a bunch of employees. You don't even know what you're doing, right? So what do you mean by trying to do everything yourself? Who are people that they should have in their corner right now? Uh, the first thing I would say is when you're doing your first couple, don't worry about how much money you make. Just worry about the experience that yeah. you have. So mm. like you took me surfing and the first time we went out there was with Doug who walked us through the whole thing, told me which waves to get. I got that really big, huge surfboard that's pretty easy to learn on that everybody makes fun of the new guy. But it was fine because <laughs> I actually got up on a, on a wave with that thing. I, did, I couldn't do it at all with the smaller board. Uh, you're going to meet those people at meetups talking about real estate, sharing yeah. this with other people. It's totally cool to do a couple deals with somebody who's good at it, watch what they do, and then decide I'm ready to go to the smaller board, right? What was even better when we went surfing was when we went to that wave pool in Austin. Mm, yeah. I think oh, you might not have been I, there. For I think that. I was. That was such a good experience that I'm like, surfing is fun. I see why Brandon loves this. It was so much better than just being exhausted out there swimming in the ocean for three hours at a time. And then when the wave comes, you're too tired to even paddle. So that type of stuff is how you should be thinking. It's okay to start slowly, but just keep moving. Yeah. You're always building momentum. Like We don't understand how important momentum is. We think we're going to go out there and get it in one shot. And if we can't, we shouldn't do it. That isn't true at all. Let the momentum build. Get yourself some experience. Get so where you're not scared. Analyze so many properties that it's boring to you to do it. Yeah. Like you tell people that all the time, and that's huge. It takes the fear out of it yep. when someone when you see a property for 140000 and you look at the rents and you don't even have to run it through the calculator because you can say, I've done this so many times. I know this is going to be a 65 to 7% ROI. I'm yep. wanting a nine. That property has to be worth 120, not 140. It, you're not afraid when that's the case. So yeah. bring in partners, bring in people with experience. It, same goes for, for business. Like we've talked before, I think the apprenticeship model, it's sad that went away because what that did was that built confidence with the people that were learning from somebody else so that they then went out and made a lot of money later. Don't worry in the beginning about what you're making. Just learn, worry about what you're learning. I like it. Speaking of like the team and stuff. Can you explain what your core four is? I know that's part of your book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. For those who haven't read that, what does core four mean? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I don't know how I didn't answer it that way. <laughs> your, your core four are the four people that you need to do a deal in any area. So you've got a deal finder, which is usually an agent, but it could be a wholesaler or somebody else. You've got a lender, you've got a property manager, and you've got a contractor. If you get those four people that are pretty good they're handling almost every problem that could come up that investors come to you or I and say, what do I do when this happens? My answer is usually I go to this person and I ask them, what do I do? It's why I don't have a ton of fear or apprehension about investing because I just want to be around the people that have already done it. I read 
a really good quote. I think it was Henry Ford when he was being interviewed by Congress or, or interrogated questions, something mm-hmm. about his company and how they had a monopoly. And they asked him questions that they thought the person who owned a car company should be able to answer. And we didn't have the answer. They were kind of mm-hmm. saying, like, you're not fit to do this if you don't even know. And he said, I have a button in my office that I can push and I can call anyone I want and they will come and they will tell me the answer to this. It's their job to have the answers. It's my job to do the business. And I think that that's a really smart way to approach it. If someone says, what do you look for in a market? How do you know if it's going to be solid? I could answer that. But the much better answer is find a really good property manager that their business is built on knowing that and ask them. Let them do that. And then you're going to bring them business by buying that property. So they're going to give you those answers. And that core four, probably I'd say good 80% of what your concerns are. They can handle it on their end. There you go. I like it. All right. Well, what about number nine, our, our last one here on this list, using off-market techniques to buy properties on the MLS or the on-market. And I'm going to slightly tweak this one or using on-market techniques to buy properties off-market. In other words, there are on-market deals and off-market deals. Can you explain the difference, David? Such a good point. So when you're buying a property that's on the market, what that means is someone has listed it with an agent, it's on the MLS, everybody else is seeing that property. Okay. So in a sense, you are often not negotiating and competing with the seller. You are negotiating, competing with the other people who want to buy the house. That's the first thing you have to understand. You can put together an amazing deal that works great for you, you just need one other buyer who's 1% less good for them and better towards the seller, and they're going to go with somebody else. When you're buying an off-market deal, you are typically dealing with someone who is not, they haven't hired a professional to help them net as much money as possible. They probably are selling their house for convenience sake more than just profit. And a lot of the techniques that we share in this podcast become applicable in those situations because you can go to structure a deal in a way that works really good for you. You can say, hey, I want seller financing. You can say, hey, let's structure this with a seller carry back. You can buy the property at a really significant discount by giving them terms that really help. Like that fast close really means a lot if you're offering cash. The problem is when people take those ideas and they put themselves in a situation where they're finding a house on market and they say to me, their agent, hey, what if we offer them a 14-day close and we pay all cash, but we offer them half of what they're asking for? where somebody else is going to give them more than what they're asking for with a 30-day close instead of a 15-day close. And what you're saying is to the seller, hey, for 15 days of time that I'll save you, you may lose $300,000. Most people would not make that decision. And it, it gets a lot of people frustrated with a lot of the techniques that they're reading about in these books or what they hear people say, I got a great deal by using this technique. Well, that person also put a massive amount of time into finding an off-market seller that was highly motivated with a property with a lot of problems. So don't make it frustrating on yourself by trying to structure an offer on a property that's very good for you as the buyer and not good for the seller if there's nine other people that will put an offer together that's much better for the seller. Yeah, that's a great point. So really, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know what you're like. Are you going to be an off-market buyer? Are you going to try to do off-market strategies, which is great. Uh, I did a poll recently on my Instagram and 90% of people uh, that follow me on Instagram, Beardy Brandon, uh, those people, 90% of them said that they want to pursue off-market deals. Then the next day, I did another poll and I said, uh, do you feel comfortable pursuing off-market deals? And 87% of them said, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. <laughs> In other go. words, like they all, everyone knows that there's a lot, that's where the home runs are found. 
but they aren't willing to do it. So instead they're kind of living this quasi like middle ground. Like they're, they're trying to do off market sort of stuff for on market deals or trying to go on market and trying to use some of the stuff they heard off. It's just weird. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's good to learn both. I think it's great to learn both. Just recognize that they are different. And the way you approach an off market deal is different than you approach an on market. Like when you're going off market, you don't have an agent to represent you. Which means you don't have a, like, you have to come up with your own contract. You have to come up with your own, you know, purchase and sale agreement. You got to get, you got to go take it to the title company and say, hey, we're opening up escrow now. You got to do all that stuff. And if you don't know what that means, this goes back to a point you made earlier, David, that maybe it's time to bring in somebody else who's been there. Maybe don't worry about your first deal making a lot of money. Maybe you make zero on your first deal You're, if you're trying to go off market. And instead, go find an, ex- an experienced off market person and say, hey, I'll do all the work for you. I want to make no money. I just want to learn. Uh, and this is what I think I can do and then go out and do it. Uh, maybe that's a way to get started because again, you got to know what you're getting into and then do it correctly. Otherwise you're just going to struggle. If you're trying to go off market on market or on market off market way, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. Or if you want to do both, which is something that I talk to people about all the time, just put a plan together to where you can, do you want to do black diamond snow skiing or do you want to do the bunny hill? Well, what if you do the bunny hill enough times that you take that momentum and you move it in and you progress to where an off market deal doesn't scare you. You can house hack 10 times in 10 years, get really good deals with really low risk. Be so comfortable with real estate that when you take yep. that momentum into the off-market space, you crush it. That makes so much more sense than trying to get your first or second deal in a red-hot market when everybody else is buying, going after properties that you have no business trying to take down because it's just too confusing. It's okay to start somewhere, build up some momentum, and then jump into the next space. Yeah, that's so good, man. That's so good. And that uh, actually takes us full circle back to the very first point we made today, which was, you're not seeing the, the the full picture. And so if you're really that worried about the very first deal and you're freaking out over how to do that one, you know, perfectly, like, just remember, this is a long game. This is a decade long, two decade long, three decade long adventure you're in today. And so just get going, get moving. Uh, and hopefully the, the mindset shifts we gave today, these nine things are going to help you. Let's do a quick recap for those who maybe fast forwarded to the end, which would be weird, but maybe you're taking notes and missed one. Number one was not seeing the big picture. Number two is trying to check every single box on a single property. Number three, looking to real estate to be your savior instead of as a tool. Number four, trying to avoid ever making a mistake. Number five, not considering the emotions of the other side in a negotiation. Trying to skip the work is number six. Number seven is not thinking outside the box. Number eight, trying to do everything yourself. And number nine is, we'll say, mixing up your acquisition strategies and uh, based on the method that you're acquiring properties. I need a better way to phrase that shorter, but that'll, you guys get what I'm saying. That's it. Anything you want to add, David? Anything you want to close with? Yeah. The last thing I'll say is if you're someone who is having a hard time getting started or more importantly, building momentum, because you have this subconscious idea that a deal is supposed to look this way. Well, David doesn't buy deals like that. So I'm not going to buy deals like that. Make a commitment to just let that go. Your relationship with real estate does not need to be the same as Brandon's or mine because when I got started, I didn't have these same criteria either. And I never would have got to the point with these criteria if I wouldn't have got started. Your question shouldn't be, if I compare this to David's deal, is it good enough to buy? It should be, is it better for me to buy this house or not buy a house? 
If it's better for you to own it, it's better to get a base hit than to not get a base hit. Don't compare a base hit to a home run. It'll screw with your head and you'll never get started. So please, if that's you and you've been stuck, give yourself permission to let that go. Let your perfectionist side die. Don't buy a deal so that you can brag to other people and tell them what you did. Ask yourself, what is best for me right now? And make decisions with that framework in mind. Man, so good. Good job, man. All right. Well, thank you, Brandon. Cool. Well, I guess that's all I got. Anything uh, anything going on in your world these days? Anything you're looking for? Anything that could uh, help you? Yeah, I'm looking to hire people like we just talked about. If you're thinking about a yeah. career change and you live in Northern California and you want to come work with me and learn real estate and give incredible service to our clients, I'd love to talk to people. And that's for both uh, loan officers or real estate agents. So thank you for that, Brandon. It's funny cool. that what I notice is the more challenges that I have in my own world, the more I start giving training and direction towards other people who are trying to get into that world, right? So it's like hiring becomes a struggle. I start talking more about the right mindset to have as an employee. When finding deals becomes harder, I start talking about how to find deals or make deals, I should say. And that's because I run into hard things. That's where a lot of the value that comes that you can bring to other people is by doing something hard. So you gave great advice. Run at what's hard. Don't avoid it. I agree. All right. You get t-shirts that say run at hard. Yeah, that would be good. We might be able to phrase that a different way. Run at hard. It's <laughs> funny. I like run at hard. I think it's kind of clever because people are like, what does that mean? Mm. And then you get to explain it. And then people are like, oh, yeah. Speaking of that, That's... I think you have jujitsu training to get to right now. I do. I got to get out and go uh, get beat up by somebody. So with that said, I'll let you take us out of here, David. All right. Thank you very much. This is David Green for Brandon BJJ Turner signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.